This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products in lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody. Today is a good day because we've got two very smart people that I respect a lot uh, on the phone with us. Carl Smith is the founder and owner of Bureau of Digital. If you don't know what that is, they are basically a large group of people who run creative agencies and work in creative agencies. Uh, Carl's also uh, owned an agency himself called Engine Works, and they've done lots of great work with lots of cool people. And then we've also got Nick Petrosky on the phone with us. He is the owner of Promethean Research. And they do uh, basically business and operational consulting with, with creative and digital agencies. And the reason these two guys are, are with us today is because we wanted to get a much broader perspective about how we are gathering requirements and, and defining the work that needs to be done, whether it's an agency working for a, a company or an internal team. One of the things that we've seen at Nine Labs is there's a lot of uh, kind of ambiguity or maybe not 100% alignment on what needs to be built all the time. And getting through that and making sure that people are uh, on the same page and thinking about building the same thing in the same way is enormously powerful. And it's also uh, can lead to great cost savings and time efficiency and lots of wonderful things. So guys, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Jay. Good to hear you. Uh, this is Carl, everybody. I'm doing great. I'm I'm eager to dive into this topic. Nick here. This is uh this is one that was really interesting for me when you when you passed it over and uh and I'm I'm looking forward to getting into it and get a little different perspectives because I, I I see it from a certain angle and I'm really interested to see how you guys see it. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I thought would be interesting about the conversation is kind of coming at it from three different angles. Um, you guys have more exposure to what is happening across multiple teams, both internal and, um, uh, and, and agency teams. So I, I think that uh, what you say is, is going to be interesting to me because I, I don't see it that way. But uh, so let's go ahead and dig <laughs> in. Um, before we before we get too far along, uh, Carl, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the Bureau and kind of the, the people that you talk to and how they might be approaching these problems? Sure. Uh, so the Bureau started in 2012, a bunch of shop owners that didn't really understand business wanted to get together. And we found out we really weren't that far off. We just needed each other to help. And uh, since then, we've grown almost a thousand members. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing and over 8,000 alumni. Um, so, so pretty big numbers that kind of freak me out whenever I say them. Um, but today the Bureau is pretty much every day people are having conversations, helping each other and moving forward in a better way than they would on their own. Um, and that's why I think um, a lot of the conversations I've been privy to uh, around this topic are going to be really interesting because, you know, it, it's all over the place, Jay, as I'm sure you know. Uh, yeah. There's not really a standard for how you're going to do it. And depending on the client you're working with, you have to have a different strategy because they may have different legal or different um, just willingness to share what they're really trying to accomplish. Yep. So it can always make for a, a slightly different strategy. Yeah. Nick, what's your take? 
Yeah, so a um, little bit of background actually yeah. might might help here. Uh, so I started Promethean in 2015 with a, with a partner from a, a Wall Street shop. And before that, we were equity analysts. So our, our job was to find this like ethereal source of truth that's out there that you know every every investor's after and um and try to figure out what it is and and get it to our clients the fastest and and that like interview process and survey process and all the and and watching what's out there and research all of those tools um they map really really well to what product should i build right you're you're still trying to find out like what is what is this path of least resistance to get my product created and then get it are the right features there what are the, the what's the minimum viable product so you don't overspend and over engineer um and and all of those processes to figure that out they're super similar and, and you see it a lot in and my work is obviously with with agencies and you see it a lot when they try to go the product route so when they transition or not a transition but add on products to their uh to their revenue mix mm -hmm. in addition to just services this came about, as I said at the top of the show, from a, I had a couple of kind of back-to-back -back meetings with different clients, and both of them, this theme emerged that it seemed like there was a directive handed down from the C-suite that got passed down to the executive suite that got passed down to the director level. And as we started talking to people at all these different levels within the organization, they had a slightly different interpretation of what needed to be built and what the desired outcomes were. And that got me thinking about that that game telephone that we used to play as kids where somebody would say pig in a you know in a red suit and by the time it got around to the other side of the circle it was you know in a horse in a blue car and it's <laughs> they had the you know the same kind of theme but they're drastically different things right and we realized that you know, in order to have the outcome that was going to please everybody including the end user the customers who were going to use these different apps and services we needed to have a better way of, of distilling down what actually needed to be built. So what, I, I guess, it, from, from your experience, what kind of mistakes are you seeing organizations making when it comes to gathering and creating product requirements, either wholly internally or with the help of an agency? And, and obviously, when they start to incorporate research from the people who are going to be using their products. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Um, and the Bureau also has in-house teams. So I think when you were just saying all of that, I was thinking about when when you have like a, a high up stakeholder who's who's kind of dictating things as well. Uh, it all it all feels kind of the same to me. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I personally went through and that I've also heard other shops going through is that C-suite you just mentioned and access to them. Um, right how do you get them to share what they're thinking and they're probably not in alignment that's the the biggest challenge so for us whenever we were heading into a project that we knew was going to be more complicated it wasn't just brochureware or, or some sort of identity work that stuff's important but when you're building a product like this is heavy lift and and to nick's you know most viable product we say most valuable product like it's got to be something that somebody actually finds useful but yep. we we would have uh those prospects um that would tell us exactly what they needed and when we would ask why they thought it was going to be successful if they didn't have that answer right away if they couldn't show something that was missing in the market then we would basically show up with two estimates one that was going to be about 50 percent more 
And that was if we proceeded based on the information we had. And one that obviously would have been uh, the standard without that extra 50% that said, if you allow us to interview all of the people who are basically going to have a stake in this in the organization and kind of play a little bit of marriage counselor to get everybody on a page, if not the same page, um, then we can do it a lot more effectively. And we think you'll make a, a much bigger impact quicker. Yeah, and, and we do something kind of similar to that. Uh, and the, the interview process is as many stakeholders are going to touch this or have an opinion on this as possible. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the more people you talk to, the more complete the picture becomes. That doesn't mean it becomes clear yet. It just becomes more complete. And then you got to sort through everything and make sense of it and find the common threads. Yeah, I think one thing that's, that's super important here is um, solving that end user's issue, right? So a company can come to an agency, a brand can come to an agency and say, we want X, Y, and Z with all these features. And that might not be based on a lot. Like even if that that brand has a very clear picture of what they want built, um, if you're defining success as like the actual success of the product, not did we build what they wanted built, um, those can be two very different things. So okay. that, that extra jump of research and understanding what those those end users are actually going to be doing um, and, and the process for collecting that and all of that, um, you, you have to have those those conversations. And, and we've been pushing for a while to have agency owners and, and people in the, the sales capacities of agencies um, actually have more strategic conversations, like higher level conversations rather than just, OK, you want us to just be your I don't know, your, your, your little robot that builds whatever the heck you want. Uh, instead of that, let's let's solve the actual let's solve what you're trying to solve. And, and use our expertise to actually provide uh, some solution. Yeah. So what um, what have you seen be effective in this? I'm sure is wildly different from organization to organization. But what have you seen be effective as a way for that director level to go back up the chain and communicate the value of getting those C-suite or those executive people to participate in those interviews? You don't always get brought in at that level. So whoever you're, whoever's bringing you into the organization, um, you have to demonstrate to them that you have that ability to to solve the more the, the tougher, the hairier problems. Um, and when, once you do that, it's very easy, I guess is a, is the wrong word, but it's easier to have those conversations and say, okay, you can take us so far. Uh, we're clearly talking about things that are outside of the scope of this. Who else needs to be in this room? You know, and you can just ask them. It, it's it's really once you're in regular conversations and, and in regular contact, it becomes so much easier to to ask about what their future plans are, and that gives you more information to help build out your product or, or project or whatever you're working on with them. Yeah, and I'll throw in there a, a great way to start. And, and this obviously, if you're connected higher up, whoever had the initial idea to put this in play. Um, that's where you want to be. But even if you're starting off with, you know, somebody who might be a manager level, but they got it assigned to them, um, telling them that you just want to understand where the idea came from and, and sharing with them that, you know, I mean, they obviously hired you for a reason and it's because you had accomplished something that they saw or they heard from somebody that you were great at what you do. And a lot of, I think, I think almost all the shops in the bureau, and I'm sure most of the people listening do this, it's telling people, hey, if you want to get the same results that you saw or that led you to us in the first place, you have to let us do 
things our way. You have to let us come in and do this. And we also had a very simple survey that they could send up, which was what is success for this project, right? And or, it, or if you knew it was going to be something about challenges, it could be what will be the most challenging thing for this project. And then you just have them compare the answers from the four, five, ten, however many people are impacted from it or, or who have a, a say in it. And then that's where they'll see that they're disconnected. And we always offered that as a service, which was kind of the bringing everybody together so we can have some sort of an organized front. Yep. Yeah, we do. We do something similar. And one of the questions we ask is, like, would you describe in your own words why this project is important to the customer? Mm -hmm. And the same question, why this why this is important to the company? What are what are their views on you know, what's the, the business success? And that is usually kind of aligned because they've been beating that drum for a while. But when it comes to why would it be important for the customer, that's where things start to diverge. That's where you start to see you know, differing opinions. And they're often, in, in our experience, very colored by the role that person has in the business. Oh, I, I could not agree more. Um, everybody is going to have that sandbox. And uh, what this like, like going back way back early in the web, late 90s, uh, CSX, the railroad, they had a homepage that was a turf war. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember this, Jay, like early on. And, and Nick, you probably saw this. Everybody wanted their part of the homepage, right? We found you know that's out. still a thing, right? What's that? <laughs> you know, that's still a thing. People are still doing that. Oh, what, what, I, what we found out going in and looking at everything was that all people wanted to know when they shipped by rail was where their package was. Yep. And you know what? They could do it. They had tracking capabilities like a UPS or a FedEx back in the 90s. The railroad did, but it was so buried on the site that nobody knew. But once we told everybody, we tested a page that just had tracking number on the front and it exploded with success, but they couldn't get there. They yeah. still wanted their turf war. Yeah. I think you 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 said the right word, which is testing. We we can get to a certain direction out, out of a lot of this. Um, but once you get into those, those conflicting opinions uh, from the, the various stakeholders that are obviously they're they're biased by by where they are, like you said, um, but being able to get to testing stuff really quickly with with end users, uh, that that's something that I've seen time and time again, you, you just get the best data out of it. If you're having difficulty with a client, all you have to do is show them a customer using something. And then you can really reinforce with them. This isn't about me and my opinions. It's not about you and your opinions. It's about what do they want and what will they pay for? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, which brings us around to this topic of, of doing user research. And it, there are organizations who really value user research and we're lucky enough to work with, with a handful of them. And then there are organizations who I believe do not yet value user research. They will once they understand it, but it, right now they're, they're still kind of hesitant. And so one of the things that I think well, there's a lot of differing opinions on is how do we measure the ROI of user research? So what are you guys seeing as effective in other organizations, either internal teams or agencies, where they're effectively measuring user research? I, I love that question because I, I have zero answer for it. 
<laughs> I, have, I have not seen <laughs> i have not seen like and this comes from like a guy with a finance background where i try to tie everything back to a number and i, I have not seen a really good way to measure roi on user research that, like where you can figure out what you're going to invest in it ahead of time and what you're going to get out of it at the end yeah but at the same time um I, I think it's probably very easy to say that you can see the the difference in quality and in the outcome when a company does invest in user research versus when they don't oh absolutely absolutely and when you sit down with somebody if you sit down with a prospect and they don't understand the importance of user research you can find so many examples of people spending millions of dollars on a project or a product that was not accepted and so I don't know that it's even selling the ROI of user research as it is selling the negative ROI of not doing it because those stories are all over the place. Yeah. Um, and just real quick, I'm thinking back when we were working with Chase and they had launched, this was right before the housing market collapsed. They had a mortgage division that was just going gangbusters, but they'd invested something like $2 million into an app. They tested it. Everybody loved it. It was super great. All these things. They put it out in the wild and it failed miserably. Mm -hmm. And because they let me go out and see people use the product in its native habitat, we found out it was a tech issue, right? The, the person who was hosting it was hosting it on a tower in their closet. <laughs> Two million dollars. And then they're, they're running this thing out, out of this, you know, different whatever. It was crazy. But I remember watching, and if I had not been there, and when the person went to submit the application, told me, asked me if I wanted a cup of coffee, and I said, let's finish this first, they said, oh, we've got about 30 minutes. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. So that to me is the, the return on investment is you find out instead of spending another million dollars trying to fine tune, we now know that we just need to get a professional hosting environment and everything's going to be fine yeah yeah it helps you find those uh those things that you overlook when you're still doing a laboratory right you're you never really know it's kind of like that thing about proofreading like the easiest way to spot a misspelling is to send the email oh, yeah right exactly your brain changes <laughs> <laughs> exactly so when you you know you get a an actual product it doesn't even have to be the finished product it just has to be somewhat functional and i think Carl, I think it was you at the top of the show said something about, you know, the, the, the minimum valuable thing. It just has to provide some level of functionality and you can test that and see how people in the real world are responding in their native habitats. That is so much more powerful than doing any kind of remote testing or simulation or anything else. And if you have a, a customer who's in a highly competitive space, a lot of times you'll see them knee jerk because one of their competitors launched a new feature. Oh, for sure. We see like, it all we need this feature. We need this feature, right? Test the feature on the competitor site, right? Mm -hmm. On their product. And that was yeah. something we started doing early on when a client, and we probably lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars because we showed them that customers didn't like the new feature, right? That they were getting ready to invest in. Um, and I think that's the thing. You're right. You can build like a, a simple prototype to test. You can even do paper testing. If if the client's not going to pay for anything, we we would go and sit down in coffee shops and ask people to show us, you know, just dragging their finger along a piece of paper, 
like, where would you go to do this? Where would you go to do that kind of stuff? And just any video of a person, and I'm sure you know, was it silverback, whatever it was, any video, oh, yeah. any video of a person that you can show somebody struggling and then you can show that you got them feeling better about what they were doing, like with a, a different choice, that gives you credit really fast. Oh yeah, for sure. So, so back to the measuring ROI, you know, mm -hmm. Nick, you said that being a finance guy is really difficult to find the financial ROI. Um, how might we describe some other forms of ROI? Is, or do we go faster? Do we, do we get insights um, faster, easier? Um, what, what else are you seeing or hearing? I, I think there's, um, even if this, this is going to be answering the question that I want to hear and not the one I heard, but the, <laughs> what, you, <laughs> what I think the interest in investment from the, the company at the very start, like if they're in, interested in investing in the research, I think it bodes well. You can use that as kind of like a canary in the coal mine for how that project's going to go. I've, I have seen products developed by agencies that have run the gamut from really well thought out oiled machines, like the process to building the product, um, where the, the investment and research is there and, and everything goes better in the, at those companies. It just, it does. I've seen it tens of times. I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of clients, um, but I've seen it a bunch where, you know, you, that interest in investment permeates the rest of the process. And, and that kind of like, okay, you may not have a, a really like, here's a measurable ROI that you can take back to your CFO. Um, but what you can do is you can say, okay, we can see this process where the people are, are investing more in understanding the problem at a deeper sense. And, and because they've put that effort in up front, uh, they're going to do it throughout the whole process. So when a feature breaks or when a feature doesn't work or when an uh, end user hates a feature, um, they're quick to adjust. It's not this like, oh, but I'm staking my reputation on this feature because it was a gut reaction. It's there was research there. We can adjust because the research changed and it, it gives cover to the whole organization uh, because you're using data to make your decisions. I think you can also add to that real examples, like especially e-com is probably the easiest, right? Because it's it's completion. It's how much stuff was in the cart. It's, you know, conversion rates, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then you can even go to, if it's a, a B2B or if, if it's an app and you're a product and you want to see, you know, increase the amount of time they're on it or decrease, you know, whatever that might be, being able to show that through some simple tests is not that complicated. Uh, we even, we were working with a big magazine and they, they had a catalog portion and we found that if we just changed where it was in the online magazine, we just moved some of the navigation around, just playing around. And suddenly they saw more uh, people start to shop and bigger checkout uh, volume. Mm -hmm. And it was just because we put it in a different place. Yep. That's that testing. Like it, it, it's, you get so much more, better, quicker data from actual users using things. So I know my answer to this. How soon is too soon to test? I would even say you can test before you get the project, test before you do the product. We, I mean, and I'm going to take it into real world with a, with a restaurant chain. We basically did uh, like on the street interviews with people leaving 
<laughs> to ask them what their experience was like and how it was. And when we went in to pitch them, we said, hey, we can't help you. There's no amount of marketing that's going to help the problem you have. But I do want to show you what's going on right now. And, you know, that that kind of thing, I think testing before you go into that final if it's a pitch or if it's a conversation or a negotiation, but to be able to show that you have found some problems they might not know about. And again, for me, it was always about leveling the playing field, about establishing credibility and being given, you know, the opportunity to help, not just being seen as, you know, somebody who's going to take orders and run with it. So when we think about um, the, the types of things that uh, organizations are trying to solve these days, there's a lot of you know, crazy stuff happening with Web3. There's a lot of, um, hey, they have that feature. I want that feature too. There's a lot of kind of keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. And there's you know, people who are fascinated by new emerging tech. Um, what have you seen people or organizations do that was frivolous, that could have been prevented? They could have saved a ton of money if they would have just talked to customers first. I think the things that I've seen um, and even really, really big companies do that where they just they just wasted so much time and so much money and frustrated their existing customers was change something that didn't need to be changed. Right. Um, and I'm going to call out Zoom on this. Right. It's like you cannot edit in the chat. So if you have a typo. Right. It stays there. However, when I go in to launch a meeting now, I get bombarded with, have you seen the new admin console? Mm -hmm. Have you tried Zoom phone? Mm -hmm. Have you tried this or that? So, I, I mean, to sum it up, I think the biggest challenge becomes they don't fix known problems. They get enamored with something new and feel like they're going to fall behind if they don't tack on something else instead of make sure what they've got is humming. thing that I've seen is specifically with people building things that they they have no clue if there's a need for it like they'll have this hunch that uh you see a lot with like SaaS solutions that um that agencies build and they're like well we use this internally we we really like this you know having this little thing automated let's sell this as a product and it so sometimes it works great but a lot of times there's very little data around let's do this it's more of like we have this asset let's productize it versus oh we see a need in the marketplace let's solve that need right the um i was just listening to how i built this the other day and they had the one of the people who was instrumental at paypal that went on to launch a product called slide and he, he said this is to your point nick he said you know slide was like ahead of its time a way to share photos with friends and that sort of stuff which at the time was really not accepted it was this thing of why are you just showing me a bunch of photos of you and he said he realized at one point even though it was successful and it was working well that he would never use the product that he wasn't that person he was very introverted and awkward and and didn't like it and went back into financial services for his next thing so there are some times i think where people if and this can happen in really huge companies they don't understand the problem they just see nobody else has done whatever they think is going to work right we also see organizations we just had a call um middle of last week <laughs> on a very similar thing where they um there's it's a vanity project they do it because they they want something to look a certain way or 
They do it because um, somebody in the organization has decided that they need this thing, that they need to be able to say that they built this when they go to look for their next job. <laughs> right. Right. And there's there's really no uh, market validation or really any thought given into whether or not customers would actually use this thing in this form. And it was a, um, a very simple uh, I, I can't go into too much detail, but it was a very simple question. It was like, well, why wouldn't customers just do this? Or like, why wouldn't they use this combination of two things that already exist? Oh, people would never do that. And so, <laughs> so we go out and we look at a couple, uh, just do a kind of a quick survey. And it turns out that that's exactly what everybody already does. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, to kind of start to kind of wrap this up and put a button on it, you know, the the miscommunication thing of different levels of people inside an organization having different vision of what needs to happen, often colored by their own role in the business and um, not always aligned can be solved by doing a lot of internal stakeholder interviews and simply um, you know, sharing that, you know, where those things misalign or where they might align and, and, and just trying to um, get everybody pointed the same direction and moving at the same speed. And when it goes to the the larger, should we even build this thing? You know, that's where we have to think about what what customers want. What what are they actually going to get value from? And, and value can be measured a bunch of different ways. I won't get into that. But uh, what what are what are customers actually going to use and pay for? Yeah, and uh, I think with what you were just saying there, Jay it reminded me of, of an example that I've heard others use and that, that I've used it back in the day, it was hip chat, right. From Atlassian. Oh, sure. And then they got replaced by Slack. Yep. Now hip chat had a lot more features, but Slack had a lot more research and right. knew right. that people wanted things to feel a certain way and look a certain way. And they wanted the micro copy to read a certain way. It wasn't a better product. In fact, in many ways, it was a worse product, but it felt better because of research. Yeah, it felt more human because that's what people wanted. So, Nick, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I just I, I love I love this topic that it's getting a little more more thought and a little more I don't know more airtime because it's it's something where you see a lot of pain and and annoyance and frustration around building something that nobody wants you know you could have teams spend years on stuff and uh and nobody nobody really wants to spend their time doing that so the the better we can get about understanding and, and collecting and understanding research uh, at an early stage whether it's through testing or interviews or surveys or whatever it is um the more we can do that and the more agencies and brands and it, it's going to make everything more efficient right and we're going to waste a lot less time and money yeah, I think you just hit on something is that teams like to win. And Absolutely. when you ship something that that customers end up not liking or that doesn't have the response in the market that you were hoping for, mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel anywhere near as good as when you ship something that people love. Absolutely. Yeah. Carl, any last thoughts? Yeah, I, I just want to say to everybody out there who's listening and thinking, I, this is another thing that we have to do or you're worried that you may lose a project because you're you're recommending this, stick to your guns, right? Like do this and you know what? You're gonna find you have different clients moving forward who are more appreciative and you may lose a few clients, but the project wasn't gonna be that good. 
Hundred percent. Is that canary in the coal mine? Will they invest in in user research up front? Uh, indicates we, are they really serious about a, a project, or is this you know one of those vanity projects you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Cool guys. Well, thanks for your time today. Uh, if somebody wants to hit you up and and uh, bend your ear about any of this stuff, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? You can get a hold of me just at smith at bureauofdigital.com. I did not come up with that, by the way. Um, but yeah, just smith at bureauofdigital.com. What about you, Nick? Yeah, uh, Nick at prometheanresearch.com or uh, through the messaging on prometheanresearch.com. There you go. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll let you get back to making some money and uh, <laughs> hope to chat again soon. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Appreciate it. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.